I hope so too. What episode is this? 12. Welcome to episode 12. Terrifying and twisted. I'm Phil. I'm Carla, the wife. The wife. So, what we've been up to? No much. No, not all. We're pretty fucking boring, to be honest. We are. Really boring, simple people. We've got three kids and a dog, so it's more than enough to keep anyone occupied. It is. When, you know, I think about this the other day, we've not even gone out, rushed out shopping anywhere, have we? To no. any of the shops that have opened, we haven't rushed out to a pub. No. We haven't done none of that. I waited a few weeks for fishing tackle shop. Yeah, you did. You went. On, you only went Friday, really, didn't you? Yeah. Properly. Um, as two youngest kids are at seaside with a nana and granddad. Yeah. One's just had his donut nicked by a seagull. He's going to be <laughs> livid. <laughs> Eldest is out and about. On that push bike of his, like always. Just in case you're new to the podcast, um, me and Carla each do a case. We don't know anything about the case, what each of us doing apart from the names. Yeah, just tell each other the name, that's it. Yeah, um, there will be a few cases which I do know about because I do listen to a lot of podcasts, but we just do best we can. Yeah, we do. The, you, you tend to know more of mine, but that's because you do listen to podcasts a lot more than I do. Yeah. Um. All my information I have gathered from you, running home to tell me about what sick person you've listened to. Please, please give us a bit of love. Yeah, do. Like us Facebook page, like us Insta page, any reviews, anything. Even if it's just sharing us posts. Yeah. That's all we ask. We're trying to get it built up, aren't we, a little bit. Yeah. Trying to be a bit more interacting on there, see how that goes. Yeah. Um, Telly-wise, we've been pretty boring, haven't we? The usual. Well, we watched an ITV drama called Viewpoint. <sighs> And we watched it for four days. Probably like a lot of people else out there as well. And by the fifth day, the main actor was accused of sexual harassment. So, So. not that I find that funny. I just find it funny that we didn't even get to watch the last episode. It is on ITV Up, apparently. Yeah, we'll have to find and download it. Yeah, but that's a whole other ball game, isn't it? That's... We watched another documentary on Sky Crime. Yeah, were it Lee Irving? Yeah. That was awful. Yeah. Um, what What is it called? Disability. Is it called a disability hate crime? Yeah. Yeah, so this poor young man. You know, I felt for his mum because she knew just because he turned 18 and he was now classed as an adult, yeah. he wasn't an adult. It must have been difficult for her to sort of say, no, you're not doing that. No, you can't go there because... He's a grown man. Yeah. But... He just hasn't got the understanding of a grown man. It's a sad story. Yeah, recommend anybody watching. It's a sad case. It's not nice, is it? No. Um, Line of Duty as well. Yeah, Line of Duty. The final episode of this series. Final episode tonight, so we're looking forward to that. Do you think it's going to be a wrap? Has that been said about a series seven? Well, I know of. I've got a feeling, you know, that they could try and wrap this up. I think tonight, my prediction is we're going to lose someone big. Like Kate. Mm. Or Steve. Can't be Steve. Or Hastings. No. I don't know. I've just got a feeling with the whole pushing his retirement, 
the closing down of AC12, I've got a feeling they're trying to wrap it up. And if they do, I'm going to be, I'm going to be gutted. So if you haven't watched Line of Duty, please get it watched. Oh, binge watched the whole yeah. from series one. They had um, a record of 13.8 million people. On Views. What it last last week's view, wasn't it? Yeah. So today's Sunday, 2nd of May. And two of my closest friends, it is their birthday today. So happy birthday, Yemi. Yes. One of my oldest friends. And I... happy birthday, Lee Richardson, another close friend. So we hope you have a good birthday, you old... Bastards. Bastards. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm not bothered. <laughs> Do you want me to just jump straight into my case? Yeah. Now, I know that you know about this case. Yeah. So, I hope that I can do it justice. I hope maybe there's something in there that well, you... the case is that bonkers anyway. It is. It It's a bit fucked. Yeah. Completely fucked. Proper fact. So, I want to speak to you and tell you the story of Carla and Paul. Now, it's Carla... Is it Homo, Homoloka? Homolka, I would have said. Uh, right, and Paul Bernardo. <clears throat> so Carla was 17 years old and she was an high school student. She had a part-time job at a local pet shop and that's what she was doing when she first met Paul. Paul was 23 years old and he was studying at the University of Toronto and he was studying to become an accountant. It said that he was really, he was really, really good in uni. Um, well on his way to graduate, no one ever complained about him got his head down, did really well. In October of 1987, Carla was working a stall at a pet food convention that she'd gone to with her. And this was in Scarborough in Toronto. <laughs> that night, Carla and a co-worker went to the hotel re- restaurant for some tea. When they were sat there, Paul walked in and apparently him and Carla made eye contact and they just had this massive connection. Love at first sight. Sort of, I don't know how true it is. <laughs> Does it happen? Who knows? But apparently it was a mega lust at first first sight. They spent all night together just talking. Now, Paul was over six foot tall. He was said to be an extremely good looking young man. He was quite charming. Aren't they fucking all? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm quite charming. Anyway, he approached Carla and like I said, they spent all night together. This co-worker decided, I'm going to leave them to it. They're getting on really well. So off she went. After restaurant closed, they then went back to Carla's room and engaged in some sexual relations. Carla thought Paul was the man of her dreams. They made a really, really good looking couple. And that's why they got the name, the Barbie and Ken killers. Ken and Barbie killers. Yeah. Well, Ken and Barbie, let's not, let's not overstep copyrights. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, Paul also told all his friends about Carla. So it pretty much seemed to everybody around him that... This is a good thing. Yeah. They they were so into each other, spent all the time together. So Carla was the oldest of three daughters. She was pretty and she was well-liked in school. Growing up, she lived in St. Catharines in the providence of Otorano. Hope I've said that right. Ontario. Maybe. Say it again. Ontario. Let me start that sentence again then. (laughs) Growing up, she lived in St. Catharines in the Providence of... Go on. I can't say it. Ontario. Ontario. I might not even be fucking saying it right. Anyway. Just say it. Just say it how it fucking is. Ontario. Yeah. We'll go with that. 
with a family, right? So in school, it said that Carla had quite a few different boyfriends, and if she hadn't dated them, most of the boys were interested in her. Um, again, she was just really popular. But once she met Paul, that's all she talked about. He obviously was a bit of an older man here in university, and she actually saw him as quite a good catch, and she was right into him. So Paul, he was the youngest of three. Everyone said that he was a really sweet kid with an extremely charming side. He had a bit of a, I'm not going to say sh shitty upbringing because we do these cases and we read backgrounds of some of these people and some really, really do. Not that that justifies it, but some really do have horrific upbringing. Yeah, just awful. Now, Paul's actually weren't that bad. His mum was like verbally abusive quite badly. I'm not saying that that isn't bad anyway, but what I mean in consideration to what some go through go through yeah um then when paul was 16 he found out that the man that he'd been calling dad growing up actually weren't his real dad this is said to have come out in a bit of a heated argument between him and his, him and his mom so he had absolutely no idea and she just blurted it out he ain't your daddy <laughs> something like that so that completely ruined any relationship between him and his mum yeah. and this guy who we thought were his dad. And it's also said that it's around this time that Paul started peeping. And he would peep through windows of any of his neighbours. He'd watch them undress. He'd do this quite a lot. Peeper. A peeper. A jeepers, creepers, peepers. Yeah. So, and he would do it a lot. But eventually, peeping... It's enough. not enough. It's not enough. It has to get a bit worse. So he then started to fantasise about taking advantage and basically controlling women. These thoughts apparently got darker and darker. Then by September of 1983, Paul starts uni at Toronto. The friends and anyone that knew him really liked him. He had this charm about him. He could basically make friends with anybody. He'd walk into a bar, start trying to someone to be his best mate. He were also seen as life and soul of a party. And if Paul were going to be at a party, you knew it were going to be a good one. Uh, Paul had a few girlfriends. Everybody said the same, that they all started really, really well. This picture-perfect relationship. But it always seemed to change, and it always started with the, the sexual relationship that changed. Um he'd become abusive and violent and, and controlling. So that's when girl would end up saying, fuck this. fuck this, I'm out of here. And off they'd go. Then spring 1988, a sexual predator was roaming the streets in Scarborough. By the May of that year, there were seven different reports made by different women to the local police about them being attacked. So police went out on, t went on TV warned all local women to be extra careful don't go out late at night on your own don't walk you know anywhere on your own they knew that whoever this attacker was he were grabbing women when they were leaving a bus stop or if they were out on a run in a park he'd he'd grab them now he would always grab them from behind and he would drag them into some bushes or a secluded area and he would force them to perform oral sex 
he would sometimes have intercourse with them, sometimes not. It's kind of like opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he's obviously sat there waiting for a woman to come running past, past. by yeah. herself and then... No one else been around. Yeah. Perfect opportunity to grab. Um, and also, some of his victims were beat after, but again, not all of them. Now, when these reports first started coming in, this predator were groping random women. Right. So he'd walk past and grope the bum or grope the boobs or... But as the time went on, these attacks become more violent. More frequent. One more frequent. And the media named this guy as the Scarborough Rapist. The police never really had much to go on. All victims were approached from behind, so no one ever really saw his face. What they did know is he were a young man, a good-looking young man, with light-coloured hair. Narrows it down. So, as time went on, the police managed to collect about 100 different DNA samples from any potential potential suspects. Put your teeth in. I know, I can't (laughs) talk. But nothing ever came as a match. The Toronto police called in an FBI profiler to help them build a profile on this guy or who this guy could be. And then after analysing all the reports, they were able to link four more attacks to the Scarborough Rapist, which took the total to 11. So in all, there were 11 people that they believed was attacked by the same man. The FBI said that the attacks were anger-based and sadistic in nature, and whoever this person was, was very dangerous. They felt that this person was a high-functioning person, intelligent, psychopathic, sexually sadistic, and he must live in the area. They said early 20s, and he will have had violent relationships with women in the past. So when Paul met Carla in 87, there'd already been three attacks on women. Right. Okay. Carla never suspected Paul. Everyone knew about this Scarborough rapist because it were all over media, but she never once suspected him. It's one of them, isn't it? It's either, oh, yeah, that bloke definitely looks like there's something wrong with him, or it's a case of... He's that how, normal. I, yeah. I don't believe that this man has done, done this, this because the man that we know is not that. We've said it. We've said this many a times, though. Could you imagine? I know we use our Richard as a scapegoat all the time, bless him. But... Like us knowing Richard on a level that we know Richard. Could you imagine waking up one day to Richard's been arrested no. for murder, for, yeah. for being a serial killer? No. It'd it's be not, like, what? It's not feasible at all, No. And that's what it must be like to these people. Mm. Now, it said that Carla just never, ever were concerned that it could be him. To her, he were perfect. He'd turn up with flowers all the time. He'd get gifts. He treated her really, really well. Don't forget as well, he lived in Scarborough and she were in St. Catharines. So he would drive over 80 miles to visit her most days a week and spend time with her. Carla's family also loved him. They thought he were a really good catch, well-educated, charming, and his life seemed to be on right sort of track. Carla then graduated from high school in 1989 and she was sort of like trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. But around this time, her friends started to notice a change in how she would talk about Paul. So before, it was always about how charming he was, how lovely all these gifts and flowers. Yeah. 
But then it changed and she started to worry about the abuse that he could sometimes show. It started with, like, verbally abusing her here and there. Cracks were starting to show. Yeah, yeah. But she always sort of forgive him. He'd turn up with more flowers, say sorry, and they'd be all right. Always forgive him. Yeah. In December 1989, Carla and Paul went on a romantic holiday to Niagara Falls. And that's where Paul got on one knee and asked Carla to marry him. And, of course, she she said said yes. So they soon set the wedding day and they'd planned to get married in the spring of 1991. Going to the 29th of May in 1990, police release a sketch of what they thought that this Scarborough rapist would look like. And it ended up everywhere. It were on all newspapers, front page, everywhere. And actually, some of Paul's friends started talking and they sort of kind of like, do you not think this looks like Paul a little bit? <laughs> and quite a few of them agreed. So one of his best friends rang police and explained that, you know, me and a few friends think that this could be our friend, Paul Bernardo. Now, a few months later, in November, there'd been a load more calls to the same police all saying the same we believe this could be Paul yeah from different people so it were at this point that police thought do you know what we sort of need to bring him in and question him so they did and they also asked while he was there if he were willing to give a DNA sample and he said yeah not a problem willingly give it police obviously let him go now don't forget we're in 1990 mm-hmm. so Although they had his DNA, things weren't as quick as what they are now. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd also managed to collect over 100 samples from other sus- suspects. That they had to work through. They had to work through. So his DNA was sent over to the lab, but it just got put on a shelf and it sat with rest of them waiting for their turn to basically be looked, be, at. Be looked at. Now, I don't know if this is because the police had questioned him and they'd rattled him a little bit but after that he decided to move and he moved over to be with Carla um, in St Catharines. He moved in with her family and the plan was that they were going to live there with her mum and dad, the siblings, till they saved up enough money to eventually get their own house. Yeah. Now funny enough, after Paul moved, all of a sudden the attack stopped <laughs> over in Scarborough but the soon started in St. Catharines. That's ironic. Strange. But again, no one ever seemed to be suspicious of Paul. Everyone just sort of... In fact, I'm sick of hearing this word, but everything, everything I've read, everyone just adored him. He must have been able to charm the pants off anyone because that's all everyone kept saying. Carla's little sister, Tammy, who was 15, she also adored Paul. She looked up to him like a big brother. But Paul started to get really dark urges towards Tammy. And he started with his peeping. He'd watch her get undressed quite a lot. And then he told Carla <laughs> that he needed to give in and to these urges and he needed to explain to her that there was something he wanted that she just couldn't give him and that were a virgin. Now, it made Carla feel like complete dog shit about not being a virgin, mm-hmm. apparently. And basically said to her, closest thing to your virginity is to give me your little sister's virginity. Sammy's. Fucking hell. Honestly. Could you imagine 
In what sort of universe would anyone think that that were all right to approach your girlfriend and say? And he's fucking said it out loud. Out loud? To her sister. A 15-year-old girl. So, Paul really started to pressure Carla and he really, really wanted to take Tammy's virginity. They decided to come up with a plan. Carla said she just wanted to please Paul or he'd leave her. And together they came up with a plan to drug a little sister so Paul could rape her. Sick as fuck. Sick bastards, I know. So on 23rd of December, 1990, Carla's family were all going to bed, but Carla and Paul asked Tammy if she would like to stay up with them a bit late, have a few sneaky drinks, whatever. So she does. Carla then goes to make the drinks and she crushes up pills, puts them into Tammy's. And in fact, at this point, she were working at a vet's. So she stole the tranquilizers, and that's what she crushed up and put in her sister's drink. Planned. Absolute piece of shit. Now, she knew that these were going to knock her sister out and keep her, keep her asleep while um, Paul rapes her. She also soaked a rag in allothane. I think that's how you say it. Now, that's um, a general anaesthetic that they use. So she held the rag over her little sister's face while her boyfriend raped her. Not only that, but they then decided to get out the camcorder and they were going to film the whole thing. Because why wouldn't you? When Paul said that he was satisfied and he'd finished, he turned to Carla and said, it's your turn, which she fucking did. They also filmed this. I, I can't wrap my head around why anyone wouldn't have just ran. If your partner says out loud to you, I want to rape your 15-year-old sister, who in the right mind thinks it's okay to stay? A lot of people in the right mind, obviously, would say, what the fuck, you piece of shit, all that shit. But Rose West... I know. Myra Rinley, these people out there... I know they exist. ...will accept what Paul has said about his urges as sick as the fucking are and unfortunately some people just it baffles my brain every time so once that had finished and Carla had finished assaulting her own sister um, Tammy started to be sick and started to choke on her own vomit they started to freak out quickly got addressed id the camcorder and then rang ambulance when paramedics arrived um, Paul and Carla told them that they tried to revive her. She'd basically passed out from drinking with them, but they didn't know what was going on. Tammy then were taken to hospital, but she were pronounced dead not soon after getting there. Poor girl. One of the doctors that was examining Tammy noticed that she had this burn mark around her mouth, and that's where Carla had held the rag against her face. Yeah. But... Carla and Paul explained it as a carpet burn and they said that when Tammy started to choke and be sick, they pulled her off the bed, yeah. which has then give her a carpet burn across her face. It kind of makes sense. And doc- Well, doctors bought this. They, they believed it. And that were it. It were concluded that at 15-year-old, Tammy had died of natural causes. So they got away with it. Unbelievable. Carla's parents obviously were absolutely fucking heartbroken devastated 
Um, little did they know. Little did they know. They actually thought it was just a really tragic accident. A month later, after Tammy had died, Paul and Carla had then saved enough money. So they went and got this lovely little house on the outskirts of St. Catherine's. It said that once they'd moved in, the abuse from Paul were just took up massively. Um, well, they were on their own then, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, there were no, no one else there. He didn't have to hide his fucking sick self. No. He would tell Carla openly that he was the scabber rapist, but then he'd always laugh it off and say, I'm just joking. He went from being sort of like, ver- like I said before, verbally abusive to then physically abusive. She would tell Paul that she was going to leave him, but he straight away threatened that if you're going to leave me and you're going to take me down, I'm fucking dragging you down with me. I've got this film. Yeah, because bearing in mind, you fucking raped your sister as well. well. Yeah. So we're now on the 15th of June, 1991. And this is two weeks before Carla and Paul get married. He came home for a surprise for his wife-to-be. I'm not talking fucking flowers. He walked in with a 14-year-old girl called Leslie. Paul said that he'd seen her in a back garden. He Could off- you imagine if I walked in with another... A fuck off. Another, another girl. Not a 14-year-old, <laughs> but another woman. And just went, surprise! <laughs> I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Dickhead. Um, he said that he'd seen her in a back garden. And oh, I'd fucking kick you out so fast. Honestly. <laughs> so anyway... He said that he'd seen Leslie in a back garden um, and he'd basically offered her a cig. She said, yeah, walked at car with him and he dragged her in. Got him, in, got her in his car and drove off. And he took her home to Carla. Carla and Paul held a captive in the house, repeatedly raping her whilst filming it all again. After keeping her for 24 hours, they then strangled her to death, then decided to dismember her body. And they then took different parts of her body, different limbs, and they mixed them in with concrete to create concrete blocks. And they then dumped them into the local lake. It's pretty smart, that. Which is Lake Gibson. It's smart, but hard fucking work. Yeah, and awful. We ain't going to be chopping no bodies up in our fucking little bathroom, mate. (laughs) And mixing concrete. If you had a concrete mixer out in our back garden, our mates would wonder what the fuck were going on. That's for sure. Because it won't be mine. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, 29th of July, Carla and Paul get married. They've got over 100 people there, friends and family, all sharing this special day. You know, to them, this was still a really perfect couple. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they presented to everybody. On that same day, a fisherman had started discovering some of the 14-year-old girl, Leslie, from the lake. Everybody in St. Catherine's were absolutely fucking horrified. It was all over the news. Everybody knew what was going on, basically. You lived a very sheltered life if you didn't. The police spent the following year, so a full year, trying to find any sort of leads, any clues into who could have killed this girl. And they decided to bring in the same FBI profiler that they used for the Scarborough Rapist. Yeah. Now, at this time, the profiler said that he had no reason to connect the two and that they were separate. He, he just didn't believe that they were committed by the same person. Bearing in mind, you said that, obviously, they had less resources than... 
Oh, yeah. So, Paul and Carla's life carried on. Aptly newlyweds. Paul actually became quite cocky. He knew what he was getting away with. He knew what he'd got away with in Scarborough. And he was now in St. Catharines. They'd just killed a girl. This is a year after, and no one had ever suspected him. Mm-hmm. So, he become cocky. And complacent. Yes. He wanted more. He asked Carla to get in touch with some of Tammy's friends, um, her little sister's friends, and invite them over so they could drug them the same way in which they do with Tammy and rape them. So over that next year, Carla managed to get several young girls over to hang out at their house and they would drug and sexually assault them, video them, and just do fucking awful things that that they obviously did. None of these victims died. They all survived. They had no idea. Which is weird because they killed the 14-year-old. Yeah. And obviously her sister ended up um, choking yeah. to death. But then he's gone and viciously raped so many girls and not killed them. Do you know why I think that is? Because he's so unbelievably cocky. No, I think he's probably that as well because he, he is a cocky bastard. Um, but if you think about it, these several girls were all friends of Tammy's. Mm-hmm. So surely they will know the family, their family will know their family. And what if any one of these had said, I'm going over to Carla and Paul's, they've invited me. And then they're dead. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's my reasoning behind it. I could be completely fucking wrong. But it is strange that they didn't kill yeah. any of, of those victims. Um, they would wake up the next day and have absolutely no fucking memory at all. They would not know they'd been... Well, they wouldn't remember being assaulted. They would know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had absolutely no memory. Like I said, they were filmed as well. Now, Paul kept all these it was his little collection his little souvenirs yeah obviously it's what they're doing it and this collection were just growing and getting bigger because him and carla just continued to fucking rape and abuse and hurt people like they did then uh, 16th of april 1992 paul and carla went out for a drive with the sole intention of bringing back yet another victim and they spotted a 15-year-old girl called Kristen, and she was walking home from school. So what they did is they drove past her, they pulled into a church car park, and they waited for her to approach. Carla then would sit in passenger seat, and she shout over, basically asking for directions, can you help me, I'm lost. Carla would have this mapping around, she'd make it look really believable that there were just two people lost. Yeah. So this girl, of course I'll help you. Yeah, well, it's... Another Myra and Lynch. She, she she was the one who lured him. Yeah, definitely. So again, Kristen walked up to the car. She was dragged in, and they just drove off with her. Now it weren't actually long before Kristen was reported missing, and a few witnesses came forward to say that they saw her talking to a couple in the church car park in the car so they said that the car that they saw and the car that was seen driving away was a beige camaro so with this the police went full force they started putting appeals out they started putting billboards up 
of this car asking for anybody to come forward if they know anybody with this car but what they didn't know was that all them witness statements were wrong and in fact paul drove a gold nissan right so the police had put this out there to and say it's wrong. yeah so this the wasted a lot of fucking time looking not good is it no it's not but whilst all this time had been wasted the media started to link the disappearance you know of the previous girl leslie the 14 year old and Kristen. so the media started to link them together but again the fbi profiler said no he didn't think it was the same person didn't think it was the same suspect but what he did say is that it was likely to be a white male late 20s history of sexual violent crimes and violent personal relationships now if you ask me how do you narrow that down that that does was not that said about the scarborough rapist as well mm. so how do you fucking narrow that down i yeah. don't i don't know there's a lot of fucking strange people there is so paul and carla kept Kristen for several days again filming the assaults filming the rapes once he'd once paul felt satisfied and that he'd finished assaulting her and he was satisfied again they decided to strangle her to death on the 30th of april 1992 Kristen's body was found over 30 miles away in burlington in a ditch not far from a local graveyard but again no leads no clues nothing but then in january of 93 paul assaulted carla really bad she ended up going to hospital um it attacked her with a torch it broke a rib she had two black eyes and quite severe bruising they'd been married for just over two years by this point and this is when carla basically decided to leave him and said enough's enough so not before no 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 but as soon as it became hers the target she were out of there mm. Didn't fucking feel like that for these poor young girls, though, did you, love? No. Dickhead. Around the same time as Carla were leaving Paul, his DNA had finally come round to be tested. So you see the time frame there mm-hmm. of how long it just sat there. So Paul's DNA were being tested for the Scarborough rapist case and it came back as a match. So the police finally start connecting things together. But what they do is, instead of going straight and arresting Paul, they decide to target Carla. They'd seen she'd been in hospital, that he'd been abusive to her, and they kind of thought that if this woman knows anything... She'd be the best case of getting him... Yeah, getting him locked up. Yeah. Any evidence that she probably could be the best person that'll help him. So Carla actually thought they were bringing her in to question her about the attack that Paul did on her. But when she were there... Obviously, she realised that, no, they're on to Paul. And she knew that time was sort of running out. So what she did is she went home to her family and apparently just broke down, confessed to everything to her parents. Even Even a sister's murder. Now, as parents, what the fuck do you do? I've no idea. (laughs) What they did is they told her to call a lawyer. And that's what she did. So, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming they would have been fucking devastated finding out that the daughter was responsible for the other daughters. Not only that, but the rape, the drugging, yeah. the fucking awful attack on her. 
Uh, did she tell them that she videoed it as well, the sick bitch? Honestly. So she did. She went and got a lawyer, like I said, and she told the lawyer everything. She told the lawyer that Paul was the rapist that the police had been looking for. She admitted to being involved with Tammy, and what they did is they set up an agree for a plea deal. So if Carla would testify against Paul, then she would get a reduced sentence. I've watched some of the interview tapes of the police interviewing Carla. Yeah. Right. She fucking knew everything. I don't give a shit what anybody says. My opinion is that woman was far more involved than you and I know. Mm-hmm. And I think she was well aware of Paul's attacks before she says that she was. Yeah, and now she's holding out cards. Of course she is. She's got you by a fucking Fred, mate. She was, put it this way, from what I saw, she were a lot smarter than what she was trying to behave. Because mm-hmm. she was sat there, and I don't know if you've seen them or heard them, but she talks in this really quiet, innocent voice. And like, she's a little bit, dare I say, dim. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And let's not forget this woman fucking raped her own sister and killed her and got rid of the body. Yeah. So the police obviously go and arrest Paul. While they've got him in custody, they ask Carla to show them around their home, where things happened. And again, everything's so... She's unfazed. So she takes them to the bathroom and she's like, yeah, and this is where he chopped her body off. Excuse me, do you know where my perfume is? Who's taken all my perfume out of here? They're my things. Like, I I just watched it thinking, hang on. Like, that's the last thing that you should be worrying about, love. She just didn't show no emotion. The only other time I saw her show emotion was she'd taken the police into the kitchen and there was some expensive, like, champagne glasses and it really pissed her off that... These are the glasses that Paul would use to give the girls drinks to drug them. Because, according to Carla, they never use them glasses. There was only for special occasions. And there was, that that's on it all the time. I saw emotion from her, which was really fucking strange. Fuck off, love. Yeah, just get fucked. Carla, obviously, had informed the police about these tapes. And she basically said that Paul had forced her to be a part of all these attacks against her will. She told them that the tapes were in the house and that if they found them, they would have absolutely everything on them that they would need to prosecute Paul. She's giving you him on a plate. Yeah. How noble of her. Such a good citizen. Mm. 17th of February, 93, that's when Paul was officially arrested. Um, the The police, actually, I'm laughing and I shone but the police begin searching house. Obviously, the old goal was to find said tapes. 71 fucking days they spent searching that house. This house wasn't a big house. <laughs> like, this isn't Murder Castle. Yeah, but they obviously were going through it with a fine tooth comb. They still didn't find them. Oh. 71 days. Right. And they didn't find them. Um, and so, obviously, without them... They weren't they really any... They haven't got much. Just their say-so, really. Yeah. Now, obviously, they've got his DNA in connection to the attacks in Scarborough, but they've got no evidence linking him to these murders yeah. to ever been around these what two young girls. What about all the assaults and rapes that he did? 
previous with Tammy's friends? Did none of them come forward? Well, they, they were in Scarborough, weren't they? So none of those came forward. I'll get to that bit. Right. All right. So, yeah, they had no actual direct evidence to link Paul to the crimes. So this is when the plea deal with Carla was... Arranged. A- arranged, yeah. Perfect word. We always finish each other's sentences. <laughs> and they basically were heavily relying on her, testifying against him. Because other than that, they had fuck all. Well, they had the DNA. Yeah, but nothing for the murders. Yeah. Right? Now, this deal was kept a secret from public. Of course it was, because they'd have been like, fucking well, up. Well, it caused fucking outrage. When it emerged, it caused outrage. Um, I don't understand. I understand why they kept it a deal, because they were trying to get Paul locked up. But that were a shit deal to make with somebody that's telling you that her husband just coerced her into being involved in all this. Mm. Without, it, it would just seem like a bit of a mad, mad plea deal for me. Um, so on the 28th of June, 93, Carla appealed, appeared in court for her involvement and they based, the court put a public ban on a trial, which, again, is very fucking rare. They don't usually public ban um, these cases, like we know, are usually yeah. quite well publicised. Well, the George Floyd one recently. Yeah, massively. You could watch all that. Yeah. Every single court day you could watch start to finish, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, normally they're, they're quite public, but they put a ban and again public were absolutely fuming they felt that it was their right to know her involvement and they were denying their right so carla was convicted of manslaughter charges and she was sentenced to 12 years fucking 12 years she was sent to prison and it said the reason the, the police and court tried to justify the reason they kept the plea deal a secret was to make sure that paul got a fair trial bullshit they just wanted her to be their little fucking stepping stone to, to catch him. Yeah. And they were willing to make a deal with her that were absolutely fucking ridiculous. So on 18th of May 1995, Paul's trial then begins. He decided to plead not guilty on all nine charges, obviously, in connection with the deaths of Leslie and Kristen, including kidnapping, unlawful comfort confinement, Aggravated sexual assault and murder. Now, the prosecution then presented new evidence during the trial that no one knew about. They'd found the tapes. Right. So these tapes was given in evidence against Paul, but not only Paul, Carla as well, because these tapes revealed a completely different version of events. And they felt like Carla had completely misled them to believe that she had very little involvement. Believe her bullshit. Because on those tapes, Carla is seen fully taking part. Yeah. And I can guarantee if they'd have seen those tapes before her plea deal, she wouldn't have got it at all. Now, Paul is obviously on these tapes. You can see him on these tapes. But his defence argued that that doesn't make him a killer. Right. He's denying murder. It, it makes him a rapist piece of shit, but it doesn't make him a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't show him killing anyone, basically, and that's what their defence. And instead, Paul then put all the blame onto Carla. 
and said that she was the one responsible for killing the victims, not him. On the 19th of June, Carla testified against Paul. She said that she was a victim of Paul's and he was the mastermind behind it. When asked about the tapes, Carla said that she had suffered from battered spouse syndrome. Right. And that basically were her defence. So battered spouse syndrome is basically, you know, when you're that terrified and you're in such an abusive situation that you can be controlled yeah. into some of the most awful things. Which is horrible. But And it does exist, but Carla Hamolka, you're talking shit. She, yeah. And not only that, to actually be able to use the battered spouse syndrome as a defence, you have to qualify for different things, I want to say. So sort of like an assessment. Right. And she didn't. Right. At all. So yeah, you're right. She talks shit. She basically said that he'd abused her and battered her and coerced her into all this. Some actually believed her. Some believed that... Paul was abusive to her and that, yes, yeah, she probably did suffer some awful domestic violence and some awful abuse, but they also said that she was more of an accomplice rather than... She was fully involved. Oh, yeah. Now, the jury were allowed to watch these tapes, but they only played them in court. They don't, so you could only hear what was being said. You couldn't see. Right. Does that make sense? Now, they said they've done this because they wanted the jurors to be fully aware of exactly what sort of things went on in these attacks, but they refused to play them in the court because, obviously, families were there. Yeah. They don't want to see that. They don't have to relive. No. It's bad enough imagining what would have happened. To your daughter. Yeah. Never mind having to watch it. Yeah. So, Paul's trial lasted months, and by the end of it, the jury deliberated for five hours. And on the 1st of September, 31-year-old Paul was found guilty on all charges against him, including the two murders. Paul was sentenced to life in prison. And then when he was in prison, he also confessed to 14 sexual assaults on women. I'm assuming these... Were Tammy's friends. Yeah. The judge then declared him a <clears throat> dangerous offender which will keep him in prison without the chance of parole. Good. So he'll just die in prison. He'll rot in prison. And that's where he belongs, if you ask me. That's where she belongs. Yeah, 100%. Now, everything I've read about this, the biggest debate around this case was that Carla got off far too easily. Yeah. 100%. That I don't think there's any arguing with that. Carla's plea deal actually became one of the worst in Canadian history. In fact, a year later, an investigation was launched into the inve investigation originally happened and how Carla came to get this plea, deal. this plea deal. The Canadian police now implemented some new laws in which they keep close eye on any sort of sexual predators. If you've ever been in prison for anything sexual related... So kind, I'm, I'm assuming kind of like a sex offenders register. That's what I would uh, would assume, anyway. On the fourth of July, two thousand and five, thirty-five year old Carla was released from prison, and that woman is now free, out and about, 
as living, far as I know, still living in Canada. Living the rest of her life. She went on to have a pretty much normal sort of relationship. She had three children. She doesn't live with her children anymore. I didn't have a look about and dig at that. Um, she applied to the courts to try and get her name changed because, as you can imagine, she won't welcome anywhere. Yeah. No one wanted um, her living anywhere near them. But the court denied it and said, no, you you chose to do this crime, you stick with the name that you've got. You're lucky you aren't in fucking prison. For a lot fucking longer than what you should have been. Yeah. So, yeah, Carla is currently walking around somewhere in Canada. And he's rotting in prison. Yeah, and that's my case. Ken and Barbie, murderers. Yeah. I think she was more involved, 100%. But So what did you think about that case when you were researching it? It, was, it fucked. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. I don't understand. Like I said before, I know there is people that do it and we've got a lot of evidence of people, that women that do it. But I'll still never... I don't think it'll ever get to a point where it doesn't baffle me anymore. Yeah, because sometimes, the, sometimes you read stuff and you're like, I need to read that again. Because yeah. When I got to the part of him outright asking his girlfriend if he could rape her sister and not only that, but you're going to help me and then you're going to rape her. I'm like, what the fuck? Just never surprised, uh, never not surprised, are you? No, no. So that's a wrap from me. Right, so I'm second this week. Who you got for me? And my case is about a person, a male, hmm. called Robert no. John Maudsley. Now, this man, I've he's, he's popped up quite a few times on Facebook for different reasons, <clears throat> and I've never actually looked into it. And this time, I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna have a look at it, and I'm glad I did. Okay. So, Robert John Maudsley was born 26th of June. 1953, in Toxteth, Liverpool. His parents were George and Jean, a working family. Mm-hmm. George and Jean weren't the best parents. Okay. Uh, massively neglected the children. Yeah. And at six months old, Robert got put in care at six months with some of his other siblings. Okay. Now, he went on to have something like I think he was one of 12 children. Bloody hell. Um, I don't know if there were 12 children that got put in care. That might have been... But some of those 12. Yeah. And allegedly they thrived in um, a nun's orphanage. And they spent nine years there. Okay. And they allegedly thrived. And then somehow, somehow... Did they go back? They they got back. They got these children back. Why? So these abusive parents um, used to beat them, hit them with a belt, which is just disgusting. Locked them in rooms for weeks. Robert tended to get it the most. Okay. Again, that's another thing that baffles me. Yeah. When you've got a when you've got more than one ch- child, and there's one that then becomes a target. Yeah. That baffles me because they are kids. Yeah, and. You obviously feel that hateful towards them. That you're going to treat them in such a way. It's just disgusting. But not only that, can you imagine, as a sibling, witnessing 
yeah. your sibling being targeted. Like I'm, I'm massively don't believe in smacking kids. No. I know kids can be little dickheads, and you know. God, our kids are little dickheads, Philip. It just. You're a massive believer in there's other ways yeah. than having to smack them. Yeah. And, you know, we always say how you decide to parent your children has got fuck all to do with us. You know, yeah. it's not my monkey, not my circus. Exactly. But we just don't feel like we need to. I, I don't want to. No, I know, I know. But there's other you ways. You don't need to as well. Yeah. Um, his brother. Um, mentioned that he can remember at one point his dad actually breaking an air rifle on the back of poor young Robert. Fucking hell, so he's hitting with some force then, aren't yeah. he? Uh, Robert says he can remember being locked in a room uh, for six months and his dad had come in two or three times a day just to beat him. Wow. At 18, Robert ran away to London. A few of his other siblings went their separate ways. Yeah. Robert well, I can imagine that when you reach an age, growing up in a house like that, as soon as you're old enough, you're, you're fucking out of there. there. Yeah. Now, everywhere I've looked, they said that Robert was a rent boy in London, which I don't really like. I think it's... It's not right nice, is it? So, Robert worked as a sex worker Yeah. in London. <clears throat> he had a drug habit. It read 1970s, dangerous place, mixing with criminals... He attempted to uh, commit suicide a few times. Okay. He had been brutally raped in London. Taken advantage of. It's, it just sounds like a, a gentleman that's all his life has had people just abuse him. He said um, that he wanted, that he was hearing voices to order to kill his parents. Right. Which he probably had a lot of hate for his parents, but, as oh, other people would. Yeah. That don't mean they're going to kill him, though. No. So, in 1974, Robert Marsler was 20 years, 21 years old, and he was picked up by a labourer called John Farrell for sex. Right. And, allegedly, this John Farrell decided to show Marsler some pictures of children that he had tied up and sexually abused. Did he lose his shit? So, Robert Marsley. Now, I've seen two different things here, but the one that we're going with is Robert Marsley from behind, either a necktie or rope or something, and strangled him to death. Now, I read somewhere else that not only did he strangle him, he then went on to stab him and smash him over the head with a hammer. But I've only read that in one place. So. Okay. Who knows? But, like you said, the childhood trauma, trauma. It's all brought back. I'm not... All comes flooding back of these sick pictures that this fucking bloke... Yeah. ...has shown And he's him. lost his shit, hasn't he? And yeah. he's just flipped. Then, Robert Mardsley, what he does is he decides not to run. Mm-hmm. He walks into local police station and says, I've just killed a sex offender. Please help me. Okay. So he hands himself in, tells the police what happened. Police went to John Farrell's house, found the body exactly as Robert had described. Yeah. The nicknamed Robert Blue because the murder was so violent where he strangled him, this gentleman's face was just pure blue. blue. Right. Again, that's a lot of fucking anger because we've watched... And we've seen, read, whatever, enough things to know. People think strangling's easy. Mm, it's it's not. not. And I dare say it takes longer than you think it would. Uh, yeah. I don't know why, but they declared him unfit to stand trial. And he was sent to Broadmoor Hospital. Okay. 
for the criminally insane and yeah. was there for three years. In 1977, while he was being held at Broadmoor, Robert and another inmate had planned to hold another prisoner hostage, a paedophile. Right, okay. Now, this goes down as one of the most infamous incidents in British prison. They locked themselves in a cell with this paedophile. They tortured him for nine hours. They rammed a spoon in his ear all the way into his brain. People said that his head was cracked open like a boiled egg. Oh, my God. I don't know why you compare it to that, but his head was cracked open like a boiled egg. There were various news reports that Robert Adept part of his brain but it was later disproved and this got him the nickname Hannibal Lecter right Britain's Hannibal Lecter so this time he was found fit to stand trial yeah and he was convicted of manslaughter and he was sent to Wakefield prison now mm. Wakefield prison is 20 minutes from me and Carla where we live in West Yorkshire yeah so it's quite local and it's nicknamed the monster mansion because of the amount of sexual offenders, murderers. It's there we're, to house. We're talking the worst of the worst. Yeah. For example, Harold Shipman, uh, the black cab rapist John Warboys, Ian Watkins, the paedophile who attempted to rape a baby. Yeah. And, of course, Ian Huntley. Yep. Now, I don't think they're there at the minute, but obviously they have been there at times. Yeah. So it's not a nice place. It's not, but can I just chip in here? Because don't forget, when you were doing your research for this case mm-hmm. and you came across this Wakefield prison, I had no fucking idea it were there. I, kn- I, I knew there were a prison in Wakefield. I knew there were a Wakefield prison, but I didn't realise it was that close to the town, town centre. No, yeah. like we had it on Google Maps, didn't we? And yeah. we were quite shocked. It's a good job they've got fucking high walls. 100% high walls with lots of fields before <laughs> any houses, but... We couldn't believe just how close it was, could we? No, unbelievable. Uh, and then there were a few weeks before Robert offended again. This time, he lured a Salney Darwood into his cell, who he was in prison for killing his wife. Robert cut his throat and hid him under his bed. Just hid him under his bed in his cell? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he spent the rest of that morning trying to lure others into his cell. Now, from what I read, people were like, this guy's fucking nuts. I ain't going, I ain't I ain't going nowhere near his cell. No. So eventually, Robert snuck into a cell of 56-year-old Bill Roberts, who was in for sexually assaulting a seven-year-old. There's this pattern, in there? He hacked at his skull with a makeshift knife and then repeatedly bashed his head against the wall. Nice. Then, what Robert Mardley did was he calmly walked into the wing office placed his knife on the desk and told the officer, there'll be two less for roll call tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say I find that. It's not funny, but in his... Like, not justifying anyone ever killing anybody. Yeah. But to me, what I... I've not heard this... I don't know this kid. I don't know anything about this, this gentleman. And... What I've took from this so far is this kid suffered horrific fucking abuse. You know, to the point if you're locked in a bedroom for six months, consecutively locked in a bedroom with no interaction, the only interaction you've got is your dad coming in twice, three times a day to knock fuck out of you. Yeah. This is now a pattern of he's got 
so he's gonna have so many mental scars yeah that are gonna cause him to have this pure hate yeah and that's what it looks like to me so like i said he placed his knife on us on the desk and said there'll be two less for a roll call tonight <laughs> so then work began for robert Marsley's special cell and it has a glass front cell right from well not from but obviously like the hit film yeah silence of the lambs hello clarice <laughs> yes from the day Marsley announced there will be two shot on the roll call. Prisoner 467637 has spent 23 hours out of every 24 in his cell. He spent more than 40 years in solitary confinement. Wow. He once wrote, prison authorities see me as a problem. Their solution has been to put me in solitary confinement and throw away the key to bury me alive in a concrete coffin. I am left to stagnate, vegetate and regress. In 1983, a specially constructed cell was made for Mardsley at HMP Wakefield, where he has been ever since. Wow. The 5 by 5 metres, no, the 5.5 metres by 4.5 metres space is effectively a two-room cage with bulletproof perspex windows and a team of prison officers dedicated to looking after him. Like I said, it bears a resemblance to the film Silence of the Lambs, although... This was built seven years before the film was released. Oh, was it? Yeah, which I think... That's quite cool info, that. To reach this unit as a visitor, you have to pass through 17 locked steel doors and the only furniture is a table and a chair, both made from cardboard. (laughs) Yeah, the toilet and sink are bolted to the floor while his bed is a concrete slab with a mattress. In 2000, Robert Marsley made an application to be allowed to take a cyanide pill rather than face the rest of his life in solitary. His application to die was made before Mr Justice Maurice Kay at Liverpool High Court. After a five-day hearing, it was dismissed. After the hearing, Marsley wrote a letter to a newspaper which read, What purpose is served by keeping me up? me locked up for 23 hours a day why even bother to feed me and give me one hour's exercise a day who actually am i at risk to well we know yeah he is a risk 100 percent, he is a risk yeah as a consequence of my current treatment and confinement i feel that i have to look forward to that all i have to look forward to is indeed psychological breakdown mental illness and probable suicide why can't i have a budgie instead of flies cockroaches and spiders which i currently have I promise to love it and not eat it. (laughs) Is that what he put? Yeah. Why can't I have a television in my cell to see the world and learn? Why can't I have any music tapes and listen to beautiful classical music? If this prison service says no, then I ask for a simple cyanide capsule, which I shall willingly take, and the problem of Robert John Mardslake can easily and swiftly be resolved. Wow. Former police detective Paul Harrison has, invent, uh, has interviewed Robert Barsley and says, he's a clever guy. He said, they've done bad things and 99.9 deserve to be where they are, but there are those that make you think. You've got the image of a monster, a horrible evil man. He's got this reputation that's been perpetuated by the service. I'd got all these preconceived ideas, but when we were communicating, I could understand why he did what he did. That's exactly what I feel. 
if you didn't know him and what he'd done and you saw him in a bar, he's really intelligent, clever guy who make you smile. He'd talk about everyday things. A lot of are really intense and narcissistic and talk about themselves, talking about serial killers. And I didn't find him like that at all. Mm. He's the only one where I thought, wow, this is something different to any serial killer. He's different. He found himself siding with Maudsley in his repeated pleas to relax his solitary confinement. This de- detective also says he doesn't want to get out of prison. He's been in there too long. His issues are more about getting equal treatment with other prisoners, getting some fresh air. But because he's a special category and a danger to society, it's like he's become legend even in the prison system. He killed two paedophiles, but I really feel empathy for him. There are people worse than him in the prison system who get away with a lot more. I came out and I wrote to the Home Secretary, I wrote to the Queen, everybody, and I didn't get a single reply. And this is a police detective. Wow. Morsley's health is reported to have declined in recent years and there are also suggestions that his mental health has deteriorated and he's living out his days waiting to die behind bars. Since the death of Ian Brady in 2017, Morsley has become the longest-serving British prisoner. I I feel really sad for him. It's, like I said, I'm glad I looked into it because it's not what I thought it was going yeah. to be. We do, we, we do the awful, really grim, detailed, horrific killings, don't we? Yeah. And I genuinely, I don't know this fucking guy. Like I'm, I feel, I'm feeling sorry for him, like I fucking know him, but... I agree 100% in what that detective said. Yeah. That he isn't like a serial killer. Yes, he's killed two paedophiles. But if you take into consideration everything that that guy went through as a child, you know, could you imagine being put into care system, having nine years of this wonderful, thriving life to then be dragged back... By these... By the scum of the earth that should be your parents... Yeah. ...to have to go through this awful... I I, I don't get it because, like, if you dislike your child enough to do these awful things to them, when they are away, let them be away. Yeah. Don't... Don't bring them back. Don't drag them back. It's like like the case you did with the girl in the closet. Yeah. Again, you know, she she was given to, to the friends until she then got her back... And in a way, I feel... I know he's killed people, killed four people. Yeah. But in a way, I feel sorry for him that he's trapped like he is. There's people that we've done cases on that have done... I've just done a case on a woman called fucking Carla that not only were involved in luring young lady, Not even ladies, young girls mm. to be raped by her husband, boyfriend at the time, whatever, then to be raped by her be involved in the murder and dismembering of somebody's body, be involved in the murder of your own sister and to get 12 fucking years in a normal prison and then you look at this guy, it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. And one of the things that I found when I googled Robert Marsley is one of the first things that you read was the real-life Hannibal Lecter that's what I mean. The so he's eating, pretend- of, the eating of the brain. Yeah. The violent prisoner, which he is, he is, he is. All them things. He's a murderer. He is. But. But do you believe it's fair that he's locked up in a cage 
that small, which, by the way, is a cage within a cage. He's got bullet, bulletproof perspex glass. You know, every the only th- he's got a fucking table and chairs made out of bastard cardboard. Yeah. A mattress on a cold slab of concrete. Yeah. Everything's bolted down, and, and he gets one hour per day. And just think how long he's been there. That's what I mean. Is that fair? I don't think that's fair. I think it's really, really wrong. Mm. And this is why I'm said to you. I'm glad I looked into it now. Yeah. I want to have a look. Uh, there is a few interviews with him on YouTube when he's discussing his parents on that. To me, do you know what it sounds like? You know when when you said right at the beginning, like he'd started hearing voices. Is that why he was sent to Broadmoor then? Because it was more of a psychotic episode. Maybe so. Yeah. I I would have thought so. And I think there's um, interviews where he said that if he'd killed his parents, none of these other people would have got hurt. Yeah. None of them, and I, 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 not even watched anything with a guy. I've not read anything, but I believe that. And it all starts from someone's family, someone abusing their child, treating their child like some people wouldn't even treat a dog. And look at him now. You're you're shaping that person. Yeah, you've you're mapping that path out. His parents shaped his life yeah. by the way that they treated him. He was always going to have issues. And that night when he was with that bloke and that bloke showed him them snapped. pictures, he's been there, he's been through that. And he obviously didn't want anyone to, else to go through that from that bloke. And that's why he killed him. That 100%, that's exactly why I said to you something as soon as he saw them photos and that bloke bragging about these young young children... He snapped. Yeah. And that's where it began. It began. And like I said, he is a murderer. Yeah. You, he, deserves oh. to be, he deserves to be in prison. He deserves to be in prison maybe for the rest of his life. I am not saying that he does not but need to be in prison. Do you know what I mean? I, I hope at some point um, Robert Marsley gets took out of this um, I'd like, Hannibal I'd, Lecter cell. I'd like to think... I'd like to think that eventually he's going to have to be allowed to sort of merge his way back into some sort of normal prison life. They can't keep being solitary. I don't think they'll merge. Forever. I don't think they'll merge him with a, of lot a, pri- of, a lot of people. Oh no, no. I think they'd have to be really careful in who he was around mm. because he's obviously got his target. He's obviously yeah. got. But to be fair, how many years ago was it before when he last killed? Well, let's have a look. When did he last kill? Because I can guarantee after... It, it was in the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, in the late 70s. So, let's... In fact, I told you the date, 1983. Yeah. A specially constructed cell was made for him. So... He's a fucking Nearly hell. 40 years. Inside a glass cell? Yeah. Can he receive um, mail? I'm not sure. So, I hope you enjoyed uh episode 12 please give us some love we yeah, really need too. it <laughs> i'm sorry if um, we're sounding if... beggy don't say that beggy <laughs> we're really not we are we do want to try and push it though with social media a little bit because the more that you lot share it the more other people are going to see it and we know that and then eventually maybe we can go back to one a week yeah We've, we've got enough people asking us, but I just don't think it's enough yet to justify the time it takes. Yeah, because, like I said, we do have three children 
and a dog to keep occupied yeah so i hope you have a good two weeks we shall see you in a fortnight with two more cases see you soon bye